good morning. Good morning. <laughs> we are as clear as a bell this morning. This is very exciting. We, I think we have all the technical questions answered. <laughs> I'm not sure that I was ever asking any technical questions. I think that well, I just identified technical issues. Clearly I was. And it is our third episode of the podcast with no name and we're all sorted. It's well, fun. we are. We are more technologically sorted. We still don't have a name. We still do need to come up with that one. Yeah, maybe <laughs> today that might happen. All fingers crossed, if only wishing made it so. I will sit in wonder <laughs> and expect. It's so, it's so good to hear your voice. I love doing this. This is all like a little, you know, telephone conversation that other people can share. Yeah, exactly. And so today's episode of the pod- podcast with no name, which is our third episode, mm. if I'm not mistaken. You are completely correct. It's about dictators. Indeed. I, th- I found it quite an interesting because I know that you have said no pre-reading. And I understand mm. that as soon as I hear don't do something, the do instant I hear it, every fibre of my being says, oh, why not? Let's just have a little go, shall we? I just don't remember ever saying that. I believe if we look back, possibly it wasn't captured on air, which is uh. quite the shame. But I do remember that I wholeheartedly agreed with it at the time because it seemed like, you know, an excellent idea. These conversations would just be very natural, quite flowy, etc., etc. Um, however, so I did have that in my head and I have completely dismissed that. Oh, no, Andrew. Somehow. Yes. Oh, look, you're yeah. back. I, I know, I now remember from our second episode, this particular problem my phone loves to do. Yes. It goes to sleep, it likes to cut off the microphone. But I heard everything and we caught it really quickly. We did. I, what I remember is a conversation about no pre-planning, that oh. we wouldn't together and conspire what we would discuss because that would feel very forced. Right. I didn't think that that encompassed pre-reading. And well, I think you should. That's excellent. It. Well, because I've been thinking about this going, and this is an excellent opportunity just to learn stuff, like just uh, like just to learn stuff that I didn't have any yes. idea of before. And let me tell you, I learned a little bit of stuff this week. I love it. Mm. What did you learn? What's the I theme? Learned, I well, the theme this week is dictators, mm. and I no. believe. Theme of your learning. Oh, the theme of my learning. This one, no, no. I, I fully embraced the idea of dictators. I was yeah. looking at the democracy index. I'm Googling various pseudo dictatorships around the world. And then I questioned whether or not this definition, the current definition of dictator, is in fact a definition that can translate to 2019. Mm. It was quite the interesting conversations that I had in my head. <laughs> and so if you go in a helicopter and look down on what you've learnt, how would you summarise it? Um, goodness, that's a really interesting question. I think, I think it made me realise that humans, regardless of in what era they were born, are very similar creatures. And... Yeah that dictatorships require a certain recipe, a certain level of unrest, a certain level of 
this feeling of persecution mm. and um, and people predictably will act as they did 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago if that specific recipe is popped into an oven. It's interesting when you say um, you're not sure if the definition still fits in 2019 or potentially a morphing of or a transformation of. Yeah. Because, you know, I get a sense my interest in the word dictator and dictators in general was probably more reflective of what's happening right now in, in spaces like the United States and Russia and North Korea as, you know, sort of the ones that are um, the, the biggest known or the, I suppose, the largest voices in the world right now. Mm. And going, how has that shifted, you know, when technologically a Russian dictator can influence and impact a democratic, and I'm putting speech bubbles up mm. in my, my fingers, uh, <laughs> um, can influence, you know, the largest, freest, uh, speech marks again, um, <laughs> see on the planet. And then, you know, Trump is meeting with, you know, one of the more despotic, is that a word? Yes. Um, dictators in the world who has a closed governmental system and um, all sorts of human rights abuses that are hidden behind a thick veil. Mm. So is that effective? an effective acceptance of a regime that I guess doesn't accord basic human rights to its populace. But is, that, is that the definition of a dictator? Because well, the one no. I have... Yeah, yeah. I, and I was just about to go into that. Go, tell me the yeah. one that you have. I, I have a real simple one. It's just on Google. It's on the front page. It's yep. by, I don't even know who, they're not even referencing where it's from. Um, a ruler with total power over a country, typically one who has obtained control by force. And then the second level is a person who behaves in an autocratic way, which is much closer to maybe these modern representations of being a dictator. Possibly. But what I'd like to ask you, and this is, this is the conundrum that I kind of came to about two seconds ago, um, mm. what would happen if instead of assuming that a dictator, sorry, I'll take you through step by step my thought process, what is a dictator mm. supposed to do? What is, what is that this person that we've identified as a person, what are they supposed to do? What is their ultimate goal? Survival. Right. And then what do they want to do for the people that they're ruling or what do they want to have as a, as a result of their dictatorship? I think that's such a, I don't know, I'm thinking of like Gaddafi and, 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 and Saddam Hussein and, you know, these dictators that probably started with different intentions around yes. helping them yep. but ended up sucking them dry. So would you say, because I'm thinking about the dictators like Mugabe and Stalin and they're kind of moving along that road and thinking absolute power, like looking at how they manipulated systems to maintain their power. That, that was always their intentions when they started this process because a lot of these came through rebellion, uprising. And- well, Stalin didn't, absolutely with Stalin, no question. Like he was meticulous in, in his almost checker play to he power. He was really too, as a young man. There's an image of him, yeah. if you 
Have you searched Young Stalin before? No, I haven't, but I am now. Oh, my God. Like, he's a vile man. I get that. And, but cute? But, well, he is gorgeous. Really? Just the first I've photo. I've got Young I- Stalin in pictures, rare historical photos. Young Stalin. Mm. Oh, listen. So he's-, he's He's aesthetically not displeasing. And that's the modern look as well. In uh, Totally. He... Three, he looks like he's from 2020, you know. Well, the first photo that I'm seeing, he could be at my local coffee shop ordering, <laughs> you know, ordering a takeaway and bringing his own mug. So do you reckon the 23-year-old Stalin, you know, set out to meticulously control and overpower? I, I, I don't know. You, know. you obviously know much more about this than well, I do. Well, I'm not sure that the 23-year-old did. Yes, but I think yes, when, yes. when faced with the opportunity of power, he took it. Because if you think about when Lenin died and Stalin was the secretary of the Communist Party and, and all of the like this is what I remember from modern European history. So if anybody's listening out there, please double check your sources, which ultimately mm. we all should be doing anyway. Yes, However, yes. this is not a research show. This, this is, is not a-, a research show. This is just popular knowledge backed up yes. by Wikipedia. Yes. yes. <laughs> And a lot of emotion. And, and lots of emotion because I still haven't got to my point. But, um, but I believe that when certain people are offered the opportunity to take power, they seize that opportunity. And Stalin absolutely did. Like there's no way that that pickaxe got into Trotsky's head in Mexico because Stalin thought, hey, I'm sure we can cohabitate. I'm going to suggest if any one of us whiffs ultimate power we might take it yes i believe that i might be above that but i believe most of the population would probably take the power (laughs) (laughs) if the conditions were there the recipe that you're talking about the alignment of all of these things yes there is something innately unpowerful about being a human yes and, and I have a feeling if those scenarios play out, and we're just talking about the symbology of a state, right, yep. and the symbology of a government, it just so impacts thousands of millions of people. But mm. um, I'm wondering if because of that inherent powerlessness and the, the inherent meaninglessness of life, mm. if not given that exact recipe in that exact period of time, we might take advantage. I, I see the same things in religion, right? Mm-hmm. So stories that are created to empower people, connect people to betterment of others um, throughout mm-hmm. history. I'm much been, more cynical about religion than that. Throughout history have been used um, to control people. Ah, uh, yes. And so, yeah. so, so what I'm saying, like, I'm just using a little bit of theatre there mm. in going, you know, that's their intention. Stalin 23's intention is mm. rebellion uprising a better world mm. the catholic religions mm. you know exception um has that played out that way no i think power invades even these systems of belief and you that is heightened experience with you know a snapshot of a uh, hundred priests sitting on gold thrones mm. you know perfectly placed apart from each other in a big, you know, Vatican hall um, discussing, you know, child sex abuse crimes throughout mm. the year. Mm. And so, you know, in a way, what is a dictator? And, and I'm leaning to 
autocratic control, this control without question. And so which, as is want with our conversations, brings me back to the um, my initial subject of a couple of minutes ago and thinking about what precisely the result of a dictatorship is. And mm. for me the result of a dictatorship is a people that is controlled, mm-hmm. whether knowingly or unknowingly controlled, but controlled. So their actions, and obviously it goes beyond day-to-day life, but it goes into politics and media, which ultimately controls, you know, um, everyday life. And I'm thinking with this new concept of I understand that we still use the old concept of sovereign nation, but I'm not sure that that has a really, like in the global community and world in which we live, where, as you said, a Russian dictator can control the outcome of a US election, whether those borders make any difference anymore. So very much like that definition is almost a definition of the last century. Could we assume or could we ask the question whether or not a dictator need be a person? Because if you look at what the result of a dictatorship is, um, with that absolute control being wielded over a populace and them not having access to everything that they might have to freedom of election, to free speech, to free media, to, you know, hanging out with whomever they want, then what's the difference between a dictatorship and something like, I don't know, an algorithm-based computer program? Yeah. I'm going to – you can come back to that because I'm building on it. But I feel like we're talking about systems of control. Mm. And – and and I think we need to separate systems of control, which are actually very pervasive, mm. and supreme leaders that limit freedom of association, freedom of thought, communication. Because I actually think that democracy in many parts of the world right now is being used to control people. Yes. Um, commercialism mm. and the need to consume is controlling. Um, religion we were just talking about and now you're touching on technology in its habitual way it's invading our lives Mm. to show up toward some of these other control systems like commercialism or religion or um, even ideology of left right you know um, I think about what's happening in the states is that a free country is that a country without control Um, is it a free media when we have an algorithm that shows us only what we wish to see so what, tell me what the difference then. Would a dictator not just implement control systems? Well, they do. Mm. So what is the difference between a technologically-based dictator that is itself a control system and a dictator who implements a control system? Well, I think we need to go above dictator. Ah, okay. Control, yes. Right. Mm. Systems of control sit in a bucket of potentially dictatorship, potentially a democracy, potentially commercialism, potentially. Mm. Okay. Potentially yeah, fair enough. Economy. I can understand. And that a dictator is a fairly set apart thing because it has a human factor to it. They may then use technology mm. on behalf of 
of their personal and quite selfish ideals at times. Mm. <laughs> um, they would use tools such as nepotism. Um, and then all of those other systems of control like media um, or communication or association or even phys- physical oppression like starving the population or locking them up, um, incarcerating their leadership. I think they are very different. I think dictators um, can use the tools of technology, but I until we have a sentient AI mm-hmm. um, who has limbs, and I'm not saying physical limbs. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I understand. In the physical world, um, we may not see a technical dictator. But so if we said that a dictator does control all of those facets of life and needs to be a human, what exactly, I think it's a really fine line now between a dictator person and that which is dictatorial and has ultimate control but may not be human. And I think it's beyond a control system because I I look at the way that my life is controlled in ways that I do and don't understand and think that possibly there is more control over my life now by third parties or a third party or a third (laughs) element being technology than was ever controlled by a dictator like Stalin or Mugabe or whomever else. Yeah, totally agree. I just think that that's a system, though, not yeah. a dictator. And, may, and yeah. It creates the system, do you know what I mean? No, no, no. I, absolutely, I think it's a fascinating conversation. Like, is it, is it a system? Can the system ever become the dictator? Um, potentially, if we allow it. Ooh. Totally. It's, it's kind of like it's two triangles, isn't it? You mm. know, one triangle, which is the point at the top, which is the dictator, and then the systems of control underneath it, yes, right? Yes, yes. What you're talking about is a system which is messy, chaotic, mm-hmm. um, having an individual effect with the triangle point at the bottom, which is you. Well, exactly. And I'm not so sure that a system – so I was um, – popped a name into my phone. So I popped a name into my phone on Friday along with the telephone number and, um, and it was in my contacts. And then all of a sudden it, through – other social media, multiple, like multiple social media, I got little requests or little pushes saying, hey, do you want to connect to this person? Hey, is this person in your network? Blah, blah, blah. You might know this person, blah, blah. And I was thinking, good grief. Like I've just put one name into what is supposed to be my private contacts into my phone. Obviously, I've allowed those contacts to be shared by various pieces of social media without actually understanding the limit or the gamut or the the scope of that that acceptance or that that, um, provisional authorization. But ultimately... It's it, it just made me think about what actually controls what I think, where I go, what I do, who I do it with, um, yeah. which ultimately is what dictatorships back in the 1920s looked like. Yeah. yeah. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I think you're also referencing the fact that these tools and the prolific nature of them could very effectively be used by a dictator like we have. In Russia. Yeah. Russia. And if you imagine, if you imagine, and with Russia, and this is slightly more tangential, but with Russia, you imagine how 
much we know right now and that as an indication of how much there actually is to know. Like it boggles the mind. It was hacked um, into in the last two weeks as well. Mm. Um, And so, you know, by they're calling it a, a highly sophisticated state actor and, you know, looking at China, we're not even talking about China's prowess in mm. uh, receiving information from our systems and using that. And, you know, we, we know about, you know, the Facebook um, pr- issue within the British um, organisation. I think I forgot the name now. Um, but, you know, we found out about that, as you say, mm. so many years after the mm. breach had yeah. happened. And so I think it is food for thought in talking about when people are in a position of power, they will take it. Yeah. And I have this feeling that potentially it starts in very altruistic, with altruistic tendencies. And there's almost like three phases, which is, oh shit, I can change the world. Mm. And oh shit I'm in control of that and I didn't know how that might feel and then now I have to stay here because I actually then won't be able to go anywhere else I'm in a no win lose lose battle with myself now because Mm -hmm. I've taken control and we think about that in 2020 and beyond and we go yeah this this will be a technological space next up and I'm wondering who is that person who is entering these spaces with altruistic ideals Mm. who then might be in a position of power they can't get out of. That's quite, that's actually quite interesting thinking about, thinking about that idea and then thinking about, so I've just been doing a quick wiki search looking at what age some of the more well-known dictators actually started those revolutionary pursuits because you're right, they all kind of came, well, sorry, not all, but um, the ones that I have up on screen now being Stalin and Mugabe and, and Hitler, obviously, they yes. all started their political kind of pathway when it looks like when they were late teens, early 20s. And you know that period in your life where everything is black and white, it's wrong or right, you know, you can get, you totally understand that revolutionary zeal and the need to change the world and, you, and, and thinking about getting stuck on a pathway and then getting the opportunity to take power when power is presented. It's an interesting concept that ultimately this path was one that they chose when they were 20 where black and white is an easy thing to accept and they continued along the path not really being able to accept, given the position that they were then in as leaders of their party, that grey existed. It's, it's quite an interesting maybe even overlaying that revolutionary trajectory with almost a biological evolution or yeah. at least like an, just a a, a, a I don't know, like a psychological evolution as well. Talking about, you know, the, the near relationship they have with their own lifespan, mm. their own development. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the dictator and why the dictator. Could you be a I dictator? Would... Uh, yeah, I think I have been. Oh, sounds interesting. In what way have you been a dictator? 
I think when I was 20-ish, I was trying to control my world with a, you know, grasp of what I felt that it needed to be and what it should be. And that led into, you know, defining what others' lives could be as well. Mm. I think we all have tendencies to lock down and control. Um, of course, I wasn't a dictator. I was in Borkham Hill. You know, um, <laughs> in a suburb. <laughs> Less opportunity to wield power over the masses. Yes, much. Um, but, you know, looking at lifespan and looking at 20-ish and going, you're waking up into an adult body and you're realising that everyone else doesn't have it worked out. Mm. And then you're like, oh, God, what are we going to do next? Oh, shit, you know, like how does that then play out? And, of course, this is mostly subconscious and, not really aware. Mm. We've spoken a lot about the dictator, but my next question for you mm. and us to just explore is why are we so willing to be controlled? That it's easy. It's easy. It's easy to have somebody to tell us what to do. It feels comfortable. Like if you think of when you were a small child, the amount of comfort that you got in knowing that somebody else could catch you, somebody else had your back, someone else was there to protect you. I think humans naturally, and it goes back to I think probably even through three episodes, we can identify this as a common theme in in our podcasts, this realisation that humans, the basic instinct is for survival and to survive one needs protection. Therefore, we are, we are instinctively attracted to anybody that can say, I'll protect you. Yeah. I, think, I, I think it's very, very simple. And all you need to do as, as somebody who wields that power is, is understand the people to the extent that you understand common unrest. So it's like kind of just keeping on poking that which is already a little bit fragile. And then all of a sudden you've got people saying, yes, I am angry about this. And then lo and behold, you've got this person coming up and saying, you're angry about this. Everybody's angry about this. I can solve it for you. I can protect you. I can help. We've got tensions that stand against that, right, which is, you know, uh, at least in most of the Western world, Mm. a sense of democracy as being the right, in speech marks, way. Oh, but that's, but that's, democracy is a lovely, I guess it's, it's, it's a nice word to use, but I look like I've, it took me a year, but I am finally looking at the second season of Handmaid's Tale. And as a woman, I look at it and think, that's how democracy dies. It's, mm-hmm. it's not all of a sudden a dictator comes in and says, I've got your backs, leave it to me, give me, you know, the judicial powers as well as allow me to kill any kind of opposition. That's not how it happens. It's incremental, tiny, tiny paper cuts to democracy that lead to it becoming not a democracy anymore. And by the time you realise it's not a democracy, it hasn't been a democracy for a long time. And, and that's what's really interesting. No dictator ever comes in and says, I'm here and I've got power. 
I'm a bit confused though because you're saying two things, which is democracy is quite thin. It's saying something, and then two, you're saying it takes a long time to erode. And so, I have a lot of faith in a democratic approach where we do have free press if it is truly free. I, because I think press and the judicial system and then democracy um, all work together. And, and I think the media landscape is shifting mm. um, to, to impact uh, democracy that's not catching up and a judicial system that's not catching up. Mm. Uh, second, I'm less comfortable and familiar with, but the first about the, the democracy, more familiar with. But mm. it's, it's interesting because I think it is, I think we have to talk about it. You know, I heard a statement the other day, and I don't know who said it or where I heard it, but it was on media in some way or form, mm. um, how, you know, democracy is a, um, a, a <laughs> sort of the only thing we know that kind of works, you know, and anything else hasn't worked. You know? <laughs> so- yes. Well, I, I just, to, just to your two points, I think I'd like to clarify, I don't believe that democracy is necessarily thin. Uh-huh. I think that there are in countries where democracy has been a way of life for multiple generations and like Australia. So if we look at the democratic index, which uh, the democracy index, which is super interesting, um, defined as a full democracy. And mm. we are one of, I think we are dark green. So, I don't think that even the UK is classified as a full democracy. I think it's the US. Uh, oddly enough, Ireland is classified as a full democracy. You've got the Scandinavian states, um, Australia and New Zealand. So the UK doesn't. They, they kind of, they're one step down. And then you've got a lot of flawed democracies and a lot of hybrid regimes and authoritarian regimes. So I think, just in answer, I don't think democracy is thin necessarily, but I do believe that it can be eroded over a long time by consistent effort. Yeah. As anything can. Yeah. And that's why that vigilance aspect, I think, is really important, especially in full democracies, because we have become quite a little laissez-faire about the rights that we have. Like, I I, I think maybe we're kind of, and, and with technology, I understand that I can only imagine the potential benefits that it will afford. But I think we have to be very careful about understanding the ability for technology to chip away at, at, at a system that works for us right now, mm. flawed though it may be. Totally, and I think we're seeing that, aren't we, in impacting our local democracy with the likes of Clive Palmer popping up in mm. the last cycle spending millions upon millions of dollars because he has it from the mining boom Mm. on billboards and traditional media and um, like TV ads through the Australian Open and beyond Mm. to actually talk about making Australia great again in the the vein of Trump. Mm. I feel like technology, even at the even at the top level, and I know you're talking about the reach a dip, deeper idea of technology's use, which is 
at the individual sort of even when I have given permission, I could be controlled or impacted in some way. We're seeing both at that level, but also at this bigger level, which is how does people who want to be in power for change, for changing the world, use media in such a way to divide us as they have in hundreds of years past, as you're saying, mm. you know, this my thinking stuff isn't new. It's, you know, re- repetition, repetition, repetition throughout the ages. Natural evolution, yeah. Yeah, and then um, right from a billboard all the way down to potentially your preferences online and everything you've clicked on in the last five years being used to profile you and target you know, to you a particular message to get a response from mm. you to get a vote or an action from you. Mm. I can see what you're saying. It's, um, you know, this we've got a permission-based economy right now and, you know, that's all well and good and sometimes it slows us down. <laughs> oh, I was trying to connect two Google Homes in the house over the weekend. <laughs> oh, luck. You know, to give permission for this and this and this and this. You end up um, just saying yes and because there's so many asks of your um, time um, and attention, you just end up going, yep, 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 yep. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. Mm. And, and you don't actually understand the ramifications of what you're saying yes to. So it, it's literally like me going into a ballot box and saying yes, but without knowing any of the candidates. In some ways it could be used for that. Mm. Sure. But I am actually, going back to your, um, the, I guess your Clive Palmer um, thought bubble, I, for the first time I saw an advertisement of his because, uh, I don't know, it was in the middle of the day and I, I was at home and the television was on and my instinct, well, I, I, it, it, almost, it made me recoil. It made me recoil. The play on fear and this notion of there being something un-Australian about multiculturalism or giving, like this notion that that Australia was kind of closed and, and needed protecting and there were all of these threats against it. And I wonder, I, I... I, I recoiled and had that initial emotional reaction and then thought about it in terms of I am living in a country where not only I have the, I guess, fortune to be able to speak that freely so Clive Palmer can say whatever he would like and that is absolutely what necessarily what needs to happen. But I am also so fortunate to live in a country where I can have I can stand against that kind of narrow-mindedness, that fear-mongering, that attack-based um, conversation. And that was actually quite an interesting add to listen to it with this podcast in the back of my mind, thinking if I were living in a dictatorship now, then if Clive Palmer and God forbid was the dictator, that's what I'd get. And that would ultimately change the entire scope of my thoughts. 
because that would be the only thing that I would get and how fortunate it is that I can I can talk to you about the horror that I felt in listening to something that was so hate-driven. In being asked to reflect on this, I had the same uh, response. Mm. But after hearing it 30 times throughout the Australian Open, I'm not into sports, but I love the Australian Open. And Mm. as you know, I was down in the Australian Open for a day and then I got hooked to all of the games and I love it. Throughout that period of the year, at the beginning of the year, I love it. It's Mm. really nice. But after hearing it for 30 plus times, I was desensitized to my initial response. And, you know, we're not sitting here saying that Clive Palmer is going to be a dictator in Australia. I don't know. Nobody's saying that. To do that. But he's using a tool which is um, potentially has been, of course, used by um, dictators in the past, which is mass media attack. of, of people and regardless of where they are um, in Australia right now, people have seen these ads. Um, and so, you know, I sit there and I go, I was desensitized so much so that I forgot that, that initial response of revulsion. And, and I think that's why he's doing it. And, you know, we were reflecting before on how does a dictator start? And, you know, my, my direction was very uh, positive and altruistic saying, well, I, I'm sure a lot of them wish to change the world. I think in this case, if he ever d- does become a dictator, um, it's a vanity project because yeah. he was kicking parliament, you know, in the last cycle. Yeah. He is potentially this ego um, need potentially has do you think, though, at some point there was an ego or a, or a, well, no, I guess a vanity element for all dictators? Because I think yeah. there have to be. Like, I think that you could start that path with altruistic goals. I think you'd end it needing to maintain power and, and purely for an ego thing. But you can also have both. Yeah. Um, and I many people are way more complex than our simple observations. <laughs> mm. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's equal parts ego and wanting to make the world a better place or maybe their community a better place or when I talk about their community, millionaires, mm. you know, better off or whatever that might, that community representation might be. But, yeah, I'm sure there's a mix and a blend of these motivations at the time of making these moves, mm. making steps. I, I wonder, you know, I constantly then refer back to Trump and where he's at and the sorts of autocratic decisions he's making on behalf of 40% of his country. Um, I'm referring to the 40% approval rate um, that he has and and likening that to 40% of the population. But uh, declaring an emergency to build a wall um, where it's not really an emergency and um, potentially not an emergency and potentially a vanity project that's being called in the media. Um, you know, those autocratic actions um, are even in the world's largest democracy today. And and I'm sure, as you've been mentioning, there's things that we don't even know about every democracy mm. where there's decisions being made that um, may blur on the side of autocratic or um, almost dictator-like. Mm. It's quite, it's such a fascinating concept. As you've been talking, I was thinking, 
Are there any dictators that actually started their lives as started their political lives at middle age or beyond kind of 30? And it doesn't look like it. Like all of these people were very entrenched in the political system when they were quite young. Wow. This is fascinating. And also I found that there's a site called Ranker which allows you to vote on anything. So according to Ranker, Adolf Hitler is the, um, is the most famous dictator. Yeah. He did do some of the worst things, didn't he, with his Well, I'm not, uh, listen, I'm not sure that I could, uh, absolutely he did the worst things, but I'm not sure that you can say that his worst compares to Stalin's worst or, you know, Castro's worst maybe because we just don't know the scope. Like I'm looking at just in Russia, I think we, I'm not sure now, but I know when I was studying Russian history, we had no idea of the scope of the dictatorship of Stalin or the scope of the harm that he caused purely because it was covered up. Whereas with Hitler, because you had the Americans come in and there was the loss of the war, it was, it, it was much more well-documented. To the same point um, in China. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Chairman Mao. Way more people, population, exactly. and we're, we're impact on human lives and the quantity of a human life, aren't we? Um, we have no insight into what was happening in Mao. No, none, next to none. Yep, exactly. What the Japanese did in World War Two, let alone Mao did. Exactly, and that's the that's a really interesting thing. Like I'm looking at, so I'm, I'm looking at these ranked dictators, which is quite amusing, and I'm thinking, how do you say that? Like there are people that I have had absolutely, I've had, I have no knowledge of, and yet there are individuals. So Yuvenal, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Habyarimana was the third president of the Republic of Rwanda, a post he held longer than any other president to date from 1973 until 1994. Like, can you imagine? I've just found a ranking of dictator by death toll. Oh, that's interesting. You were right on the money um, around Russia and China. So uh, China is Mao is seemingly the worst on this list. This is a Daily Beast article, um, but let's take it with a grain of salt. Um, Its death toll is 45 million to 75 million people. Mm. He was in power for 34 Mm. years. And the worst offence was the famine. Um, And this is back to controlling food supply, which we were talking about before. Mm. Um, And then Stalin, 40 to 62 million And these were in the gulag camps, incarcerated yeah. um, control. And then Hitler, 17 million to 20 million. And, and these are higher numbers even for Germany that I thought were was around. But maybe they're calculating the war dead as well. Absolutely. So they, they, I think they encompass pretty much everything. So every political decision that's made that's led to a death, i.e. gulags in Stalin's era, um, would be classed as, as a death attributable to the dictator. Have you ever heard of Chiang Kai-shek? I have. Yes, I have. Um, 10 million people. The worst offence is the 228 massacre. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm looking at the same website. And then you go to Hirohito. 
Yes. Six, Six the Nanking Massacre. That's in China, yes. I went to the um, Hong Kong Museum and saw all about Nanking. Oh, my gosh. Just insane. Wasn't Kai-shek, was it now, uh, who has an airport? Isn't there a Kai-shek airport? Sure. No, surely not. No, I must be wrong. It could be in China. I am, in fact, correct. Kai-shek no. Airport, Hong Kong. Oh. Surely not. In the Hong Kong side. Was the International Airport of Hong Kong. It was officially known as Hong Kong International Airport. Formerly known as Chiang Kai-shek. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, I guess we know, we know which side of the war they stood. <laughs> so what have we learnt about... Oh, I like this. Wrapping up. Yeah, what have we learned? I, I've learned um, that there's systems of control that actually sit aside someone's or a group's motivations, right? And that are primed to be used in particular ways to meet those needs of control. Um, the other really big thing that I got out of our conversation today, and I'm not doing a full summary, of course, but um, the other thing that really jumps out at me is um, the fact that we sign up for control mm. almost at every step and your reflections of, yeah, well, our origin story in this world is quite often with a carer who tells us what to do. Mm. And that's safe and comfortable. However, you know, the, the sum of us, some of us, S-O-M-E, mm. the sum of us in this, um, these communities will ride the tension of control and have conversations as um, detailed and high level <laughs> um, as this one about what control is and its place not only in the past but in the future as well around tech. Mm. I think that's having with people around us. Yeah. I think what I, and I, I liked the opportunity to explore that idea of tech more with you as well, because looking at it as a control system, as opposed to a dictator and whether or not it has the potential to become dictatorial in its nature, that, that actually was an interesting thing to kind of flesh out in my mind, but also this novel idea of, the A, the young Stalin, as somebody who is really quite cute. Thank you very much for that introduction. And, um, but also this idea that quite a few of these dictators started off, like I, I loved how we talked about the natural human evolution and the evolution of the human psyche and kind of connecting that to the evolution of um, a dictatorship and starting when you were young, when black and white was in fact the thing, the way that you thought. And then, and I really loved your idea of maybe they got into a place where they couldn't get out of, and maybe they didn't want to get out of it either. Let's be honest. Cause maybe then ego took over, but it was an interesting, I hadn't thought about it like that before, which I found yeah, quite cool. I think it's good that we're, you know, opening up, room for these harder conversations, you know, and, and not often do you sit down and talk about dictators. No. And um, I think it's important that we recognize that there's shit things that happen in this world. Yeah. And there's people that control others. And what I also loved about our conversation is the nuance of control. We spoke of the stuff that we sign up to and accept and the, those that we just don't even think about. Mm. Yeah. You know, that we 
even process as control and, because they've been here forever. And also maybe that we can't even process. Going back to the ability of the human brain to imagine scope, I, I think we have limitation. I'm not sure that we can fathom some things comfortably or uncomfortably. Um, but that is a podcast for another day. I think we can. Yes, absolutely. But I think we can constantly upgrade our neurons. Oh, absolutely. Connections, which as soon as we have this conversation, we're now, you know, upgrading even our experience of control in the world and on us and our ability to control as well. Yeah. I was, I was listening to a podcast a couple of days ago and it was fascinating because they were talking about, um, again, this, this sort of human evolution and they were talking about Mozart and the idea was actually every generation builds on the generation before it. That's why change is so incremental but that means that a pianist, uh, like a, a, an exceptional pianist at the age of 14 who currently lives in the world would have been better than Mozart because Mozart at the time was the best for his generation and for his for his kind of age group in the world and over the t- over over centuries we've actually developed that skill and developed that level of um of piano just extraordinary gift i guess extraordinary musical gift building on a base that he was part of but again not the foundation of and it was fascinating so i agree that ultimately every fascinating conversation that you have every idea that is generated every argument that you can tease out that's all about learning love it and our next episode is about jumping (gasps) jumping we are jumping i love it excellent i like this i'm already excited what might be a future episode idea that we need to add to the list? Well, I think that we, I would like to discuss happiness. I'm doing a philosophy course at the moment and we have 11 weeks, 11 juicy weeks of talking about happiness and what is it. And it sounds so simple and it is so difficult after you start really working out what happiness is. Could be too big for 50 minutes, but we could have, you know, a double podcast. A really simple approach to happiness, which let's think about talking in our next two episodes. But next episode is on jumping. Next episode. Super looking forward to that. Jumping. Okay. Be (laughs) kind and I will see you in two weeks' time. I'm super looking forward to it, Andrew Sloan. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Bye.